As Nathan has already said, our reading this evening is from Isaiah chapter 55 and verses 1 to 9. It can be found on page 742, the Church Bibles. So that's Isaiah 55, starting at verse 1. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel." for he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his ways and the evil man his thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Thanks be to God for this reading from his word. If you kept your Bible open, that was a wise thing to do, because we're going to look at just that passage. Um, and I just want to read the last, um, find it again, um, the last two verses that Nick's just read to us. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declared the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Uh, Mastering this takes a, usually a few clicks. Uh, yeah, well, I call this the ultimate illustration. And, um, and of course, that what I've just read, and you've heard it the second time in almost as many minutes, um, makes this reference to the heavens, to the heavens. Um, and I thought, uh, we're going to have to hit space at some point. You knew that was coming. So why don't we just get it over and done with? and look at it straight away. So we're sort of starting with the illustration and then working backwards and saying, well, what's this illustrating? Why is that illustration being used? So uh, here we are. This is us. Um, yep. And we'll figure out what we mean by the heavens as best we can. Okay, You can tell I've enjoyed playing here a little bit. 
So this is not to scale, because any nerds out there already offended that think, oh, that's, a, that's far too close, or whatever. This wasn't meant to be to scale. It's a, it's a diagram, an illustration. When um, human beings went to the moon, and they're going to do it again in the next couple of years, or at least that's the plan, um, back in the late 60s, early 70s, last century, uh, they, in order to escape from the Earth, had to get up to a speed of something like seven miles a second. That's pretty fast. That's from here to the other side of Shrewsbury that quickly. <laughs> Some people who've had to drive tonight maybe wish they could. So, uh, so what? Well, that's, that's the equivalent of it being nearly a quarter of a million miles away. And if we... Um, if those astronauts were able to keep that speed going, which of course they don't, because the Earth wants to pull things back to it with its gravity, but if they're able to keep going at that speed, they would get to the moon in 10 hours, traveling at seven miles a second. Uh, what about uh, the sun? Clearly not to scale. Um, keeping that speed up steadily, which is not something that happens in space, but just pretend, just imagine, how long would it take to get to the sun at seven miles a second? Remember, Shrewsbury in two seconds, the sun would, being 93 million miles away, would take you about five months, okay, at seven miles a second. Uh, let's go to, where else? Proxima Centauri, a star called Proxima Centauri. Um, which is 25 trillion miles away, um, how long would it take you to get there at seven miles a second? Just a bit over a thousand centuries, a hundred thousand years. And why have I bothered to mention that star? Well, it's the nearest, apart from the sun, obviously. So. How high are the heavens? When the Bible talks about as high as the heavens are above the earth, that's, that's how my thoughts compare to yours, my ways compare to yours. And Proxima Centauri, if you scaled it down, this just on our doorstep, you've barely got outside your house, if you were to think of the rest of the universe. So it is truly mind-blowing. We, we're quite sure... I'm quite sure that nobody here can get their minds around that. It is, it, it, we blank out. It's just, there's nothing we can think of that is on that scale that helps us. We just accept it's, for the sake of argument, infinite. So keep all that in the back of your mind because it seems that this is God's idea of perhaps the ultimate uh, illustration but illustration of what? You don't just have an illustration, it has to be illustrating something. Now, um, as we read Isaiah, um, I think of the last uh, Coalition for Marriage, couldn't think what it was called, uh, video that I watched, and some of you might, might get these emails and watch the videos, and it was a, a Reverend Dr. Clifford Hill, who's only 97, who said that regarding the prophets of the Old Testament, he says, God has used these men, prophets like Isaiah, outstanding in their generation to actually reveal his nature and purposes. Without that foundational knowledge, we lack the basic understanding of the New Testament and the nature of justice and truth that's revealed in the prophets. Each one of them adding to our knowledge that God is totally different from the world that God is totally different from the world. So here in um, 
Isaiah 55, we can see this clearly. Uh, we see uh, the gospel in these first nine verses. In fact, it's, it was a bit of a, an annoyance having to stop after nine verses because the whole chapter's so good and maybe we should have read it all and then just looked at these nine. But anyway, you've got it in front of you. You can do that as homework. Um, uh, so we see the gospel in these first nine verses and we do definitely see something of the nature of the God who thought of it, the God who offers that gospel. Now, two chapters back, maybe the most famous chapter in Isaiah, which talks clearly about the blockage to personal peace with God. In other words, our sin being removed. We know words like verse 5 in chapter 53, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. So, uh, in the words of one common uh, commentary writer uh, so the floodgates of divine blessing have been flung open and peace begins to flow like a river it's a good day to be dwelling on peace now um, what we're going to do is sort of split the chapter up into those two parts um, the first section uh, welcome to the needy second welcome to the sinner idea borrowed off Philip Hacking um, so let's, uh, let's start with the first one. And as uh, Nathan's already pointed out, in, in, actually in the first verse, four times we're told to come. Come, all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters. Come by wine and milk. Uh, come by and eat. Come by wine and milk and, uh, without money and without cost. Uh, the, it's wonderful to just straight away think that the gospel invitation is from God. It's not like we're coming saying, oh, please, can we? What do we need to do? Please, can we? Well, the invitation comes from him. And there is a warmth of welcome just in those words. Come. And keep going. Uh, the reference to living water, which you might think reminds you of the woman at the well and what Jesus told her. So that's something that we, that we receive, living water, not just a glass of water that stops your thirst for a moment, but something that keeps you going forever, so you'll never thirst again. Keeps you in eternity. And then in the rest of verse 1, with all this reference to buying without money, we're going to look at some fairly impossible things tonight, and buying without money actually doesn't make any sense to us. Uh, and... When we consider it as grace, so God giving us things we didn't earn, it is exactly like buying something without money. You haven't got any money, but you can still have this. You don't deserve my favor, but I'm going to give it you. Something like that. So, um, free salvation, in other words, we haven't earned it, and more than that, we can't earn it. But it's been paid for. It's been paid already. And two chapters before where we're looking now, we see exactly what that cost in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we read on into verse 2, and there's reference to the bread of life. And this you know, bread and water, this feast doesn't sound too good until you put all the words in the bread of life. There's talk here in this verse of something that satisfies and not just something that satisfies but the only thing that will satisfy so all of our pleasure seeking in life our seeking after other religions included uh, 
isn't going to satisfy us, but this will. So we've already, uh, in, one, in that song, we've thought about the idea of listening to God. Listen, listen to me. Whenever a word's repeated, it's the equivalent of a highlighting. And eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Listen, that you might live. Do you remember when Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So there's this idea that Jesus' words and eternal life are all bound up together. You, you can't, in a way, get eternal life without heeding his words. He says, uh, in John 12, he says that um, the things that he says in obedience to the Father who sent him lead to eternal life. The things that he says lead to eternal life. So his miracles are quite stunning and worth following him around the countryside to watch, but it's the things that he said that we need to listen to and heed that leads to eternal life. So no wonder one of the most commonly repeated phrases of Jesus is, whoever has ears, let him hear. And I hope that's the main reason we've come here tonight, is to hear God speak to us. Now, uh, as we read on, I will make an everlasting covenant with you. Who's you? Well, then God would call, God would say, my people. If you're a Christian, that's you too. An everlasting covenant made with you. My faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the people. So who, who is him? Is it David? Well, the focus is on the house of David. And so we're really looking at specifically David's glorious son, David's greater son, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus, who we were encouraged this morning to always remember. And, missed that one, and uh, we are, well, we get more than a hint in verse 5 that the nations will, people you don't know at the moment, Isaiah is saying, will come running to you. Um, is, this is, the, the gospel is for the whole world, and the idea that people come running to the gospel might seem a little bit strange to us, but it's no, no different really from Paul's reference to the pleasing aroma of Christ amongst those who are being saved. Christ is thoroughly attractive to people that turn to him and people that repent of their sins, as we're now going to read in the second part. So welcome to the sinner. Uh, you might notice the observant that that goes on to verse 13, but we're not. <laughs> so that's the way it is. Um, so in verse 6, seek the Lord while he may be found. Well, when may he be found? Well, for one thing, during your three score years and ten and a few more possibly, um, that you're going to live in this world. Um, that, that's God's mercy to that you're given those years to seek him while he may be found, while you're there to find him. Um, and call on him while he is near. It's very interesting that in Psalm 145, we read the words, he is near all who call him, and now we're told, call on him while he's near. It's one of those kind of reversible, almost chicken and egg type truths. It works both ways. Um, and then let... How was that? I was keeping up with it. It's always the problem, isn't it? Um, <laughs> 
Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God for he will freely or I prefer abundantly pardon. So we, another word for all this is repentance which is absolutely part of the gospel. God calls sinners to this banqueting table uh, for this satisfying food but repentance is a central part of it. It's not, it's not like a qualification. It's not like passing an exam, something you have to do. It's just like a description, another word for turning back to God. And then that he will, notice it was there twice, he will have mercy on them. He will freely pardon. He will abundantly pardon. So there's mercy and there's abundant pardon for those who turn back to God. And it's not grudging it's not like God is saying, mm, okay, then seeing as you've repented, I suppose I'll have to forgive you. Um, this morning, Steve said something like this. I don't whether I'll quote you verbatim. Uh, we dishonor Jesus as Savior when we cling onto our sin thinking he can't or won't forgive us. Sorry if that's not exactly accurate. Uh, it's something like that. I was scribbling hard. Um, and that's it, isn't it? We... we, we we'll find this hard to believe that God is so non-grudging, so abundant and free in his pardon as we turn to him. So how come all this money without buying ha ha and this life-giving water for nothing, free food, good food for no cost, ha how can this be? How can this be? Again, sorry. <laughs> Uh, and we read on in verse 8, and this is really the focus now for everything else we're going to say and look at. For God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. So it might just be useful for a moment to say what exactly are our thoughts on this subject of forgiveness and pardon, because that's what we've just been talking about. Um, how about we expect to pay our way? Um, or insist on paying our way in life. Um, so we don't like charity. Uh, we probably don't like the implication that we're helpless, and I think this is a huge stumbling block to a lot of people because they like to feel they've got something to contribute, that if God needs to forgive us, we'd still rather like to deserve it a bit, uh, earn it to some extent. So we feel we've played our part. But equally, we don't expect to give abundant forgiveness, not really, not realistically. When we do get around to forgiving someone, it's not exactly abundant or lavish. Think of the father of the prodigal son. That's not usually a good picture of us. And when we come to God in repentance, he removes our sin, we're told, as far as the east is from the west in Psalm 103. Would that describe the way we forgive people that have done us wrong? And, you know, and I have apologized, how, how, how do we shape up to that description? How about ABI? ABI stands for Assume Best Intentions. Somebody's done something, do you always put the, the best interpretation on it possible? Or maybe something less than that? Or if you really don't like them, something quite opposite to that. I bet they did that to spite me. So this is the way we think. So how do we think? This is how we think. This is how human beings in a fallen state tend to think. And we find it hard 
to believe that anyone can really forgive us, least of all, a holy God, just like forgivers. And what about our ways? These are our thoughts, our ways. Well, we don't probably need to add a lot because they certainly flow from our thoughts. So left to ourselves, we're unlikely to show love or friendship to one who's been unkind to us. So then, so back to where we started, how much, not like our thoughts, like our ways, are his ways and thoughts, are God's ways and thoughts? What's the margin? Is there any comparison? Does God think like me and you, only more so, yeah, a bit better, a bit smarter? Uh, when we think of the scale of what we're trying to look at in those opening slides, no, the word is, is higher but how much? How much higher? God, God, in effect, is saying, go outside at night and look up. Probably not at this time of year, most nights, but we can still get starry nights. And take in and embrace the wonder of the infinite. And stop thinking, I, God, I'm like you, but only a bit better, a bit wiser, um, a bit bigger. We're, we're to trust the God who made us and who knows us, uh, yet who warmly invites us, who abundantly pardons us. And how about this? Among the many mysteries of God and his ways, surely is this one, it's the question, did he make the universe so vast, so high, so beyond us, the universe again quoted this morning, without one maverick molecule? Was that R.C. Sproul? I love that. I've got, I've got it written down. Um, the universe with not one maverick molecule, and there's nothing out of place. Everything is where it's meant to be. So, so that would include the scale, the scale of the universe. And has he done this in order to illustrate the extent of his thoughts, his ways, his forgiveness, his utterly satisfying and abundant life? I don't know, and neither do you. It's an amazing thought that God could have made everything on that scale to illustrate something about himself. I just want to read the same two verses out of the message. I, I'm not the biggest fan in the world of the message, but every so often you read it and you think, I'd really like the way you've captured it. And he says, I don't think the way, I don't think the way you think. The way you work isn't the way I work. For as the sky soars high above the earth, so the way I work surpasses the way you work, and the way I think is beyond the way you think. Now, before we finish, just one almost last question. What um, does this apply generally? Because th this clearly applies to the subject of forgiveness. A returning sinner coming to God gets this abundant forgiveness, and we say, how can that be? Just don't get it. It's not the way we are. I've got to say, no, exactly, exactly. It isn't the way you are, but it is the way I am. So can we apply this principle more generally? Well, there's always slight risk doing that in the Bible, that we're starting to read things into things that aren't there. But I've never found any, what I would describe as a serious Bible scholar anyway, that thinks that this enormous um, difference between God and us only applies to the subject of forgiveness on everything else is more or less where we are. I don't think so. I mean, take Psalm 139. 
where the psalmist, on realizing how much God knows him and knows about him, knows every detail about him and made every detail about him, says such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. And how about Paul writing to the Romans? Uh, amplified version here. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and decisions and how unfathomable and untraceable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counsellor? So words like unfathomable, unsearchable. And his thoughts are not entirely separated from his knowledge, including his knowledge of us and of our thoughts and of our ways. Now, accepting this doesn't mean committing what was popular at one point to use the word intellectual suicide, sort of switching your brains off. You know what I mean? When people say, oh, that's not my area, uh, leave it to the experts. M mine is just a simple faith. Uh, I, I don't ask questions and I'm not seeking answers. Uh, this is not uncommon, is it? We are obviously given minds and we are to use the mind that God has given us. But we need to always remember that whilst God's ways are often unfathomable to us, he's inexplicably and wonderfully willing to forgive the wicked man returning in repentance. Think of the verse in Romans, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So, Good word for today. I actually came up with that before, not, not realizing what day it was, but it, it, it works well. Remember. So what can we do? What can we take from this? What can we, how we can apply this? Well, let's remember to recognize and resist that human tendency to feel we've got to impress. We've got to earn our own way. Uh, recognize and resist the human tendency to arrogantly assume we can stroke should understand everything we can't we won't it's amazing what we do know but we won't understand everything uh, so when you feel you hit your glass ceiling when you're trying to get your head around the trinity or just the presence of suffering or the whole idea of election chosen before the world began in fact the whole idea of a timeless god which the Bible does seem to strongly imply. Uh, okay, who, whose head? Who, who gave you the idea that you are supposed to understand everything? God's ways and thoughts are as high above ours as the heavens are above the earth. So we come to him uh, always with a humble, repentant, submissive heart. And we accept or even rejoice in his utterly superior wisdom, knowledge, and his thoughts are to all intents and purposes infinitely higher than ours, and his ways are too. When we combine all this with the warmth of the come that we started the chapter with, and the fact that he is lavish with his forgiveness on us, it should cause us to simply worship him. Over to you, Nathan.